In the words of Naval Ravikant, desire is a contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. So hello everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Third Eye Thoughts. Today we're going to discuss some answers to some questions from an article about ways to contemplate meaning and purpose and finding greater depth in your life in various activities. This was an article that came across to me from a newsletter from Intelligent Change, which is a productivity tech company based in London. And yeah, are we ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right, so we can start off with the first question and we'll just like branch off into randomness from there, I'm sure. So over the last seven days, what moments have... Oh, that's not the one we agreed on. Over. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's just say in general, because the first three questions are very similar. Let's say in general, when have you felt the most alive and electrified? What were you doing? What kind of person were you being? Um, And what did these moments consist of? Chitra, you you can go first. Oh, okay. All right. Put me on the spot. I see. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm definitely going to go with uh, our little like mini road trip together. Um, Obviously, I had to include you guys. Uh, I just, I think I was, I've been in like a funk. Not so much now, but like leading up to that. I was in kind of just like a weird limbo-y, what the fuck am I doing with my life? mind space and then just seeing you guys I was like oh I don't know like it I was like I can go anywhere and like do things whereas like when you're in college and you have all these restrictions like you don't have money you don't like I don't know you can't just up and go places and do things especially given you know our parents and how I'm still constantly seeking their affirmation um but I just I think it was like one of the only times where I realized like oh I'm an adult and I can actually like see the world and live life with good people and have awesome times with like people who who make me feel happy instead of like toxic people that just happen to be around me but when you were living in Germany you you must have also felt that too right because you were traveling and you know, spending your time doing various things. There was this, like, huge sense of freedom. To, I mean, yeah, in a different way and in, like, a more, you know, in a bigger way without COVID and everything. But mm-hmm. I think there was also still these restrictions, like, money-wise. Like, my God, I was so poor. And even with, with like, responsibilities, like, you still have to be in class. Like, I mean, maybe it's also because we're working remotely now. So it's, like, we can literally just be anywhere and it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can go ahead um so I th- I think for me it was when I spent like time outdoors and kind of made me appreciate like the natural world and and nature like in a way that I didn't really before the pandemic um since I think like I'm so used to seeing these four walls um and I think like the trips that I've taken that have been to places where I connect with nature like when we went to the cabin in Pennsylvania just like being surrounded by like the snowy woods and just like being reminded that, you know, there are much bigger things beyond me. Um, And then I went to like Acadia National Park in November and it was on election day. And it was just really nice to like get a mental break from thinking about the election and like what the future of the country was. 
um and it was like totally empty too so it, it really felt like we were just like in the woods um and it was really beautiful and then yeah I think also going to Shenandoah so yeah those have definitely been like the highlights of my year so far oh yeah just like Shivani and Chitra this pretty much sums it up the highlight <laughs> of, of lockdown um but uh, have you both heard of the book uh, Atomic Habits Oh yeah, I feel you're always talking about this. That's the only reason. Oh, am I? Oh no. Yeah. Um, In a good yeah. way. <laughs> it's I actually never read it. I don't know why. I'm always <laughs> <laughs> but I I follow the author both like in a newsletter form, and I read some of his articles. But he has a lot of just like mic drop content. Um, and one of the things he mentioned in his article or in his newsletter um, was when you lose track of time, you're either living your best life or you're wasting it. And I felt like that, like my answer to this question of like when I felt most electrified was when I, the moments that I lost track of time because I was living my best life. So that would be in both in the sense of like two very different areas. Either I'm like with friends, like in a jungle or like playing a board game and totally just not totally forgetting about the date or the time or anything like any of my responsibilities or troubles that I'm feeling or it's like if I'm heads down working on something or writing it's just very exciting and uh, I'm getting somewhere it's like challenging but I also feel like there's like an end in sight so yeah it's usually one of those two scenarios if I'm like in a flow state work-wise or if I'm with people that just don't make me feel drained in some way. Yeah, I, I like what you said about like, oh, um, <laughs> losing track of time, because it feels like time is just like restricting us in every other way, like with our work and with like our timeline. Um, and it feels like with COVID, you're just kind of like counting the days like until it's finally over. And so it's, it's just nice when you like forget about that restriction and you can just be instead of worrying about like what you're doing. Yeah. And I think like the point you made about being with people who don't make you feel like drained is, is like something that I don't think we consider enough in, in like dating. Cause I, I think about like so many people that I just like give my time to, like it's, it's worth nothing. Like, especially being like serial dating of late. It's like, they're like these, like the, the same conversations over and over again for like spending hours on end with these like randos and it's like why why am I like doing this and I've had like so much more meaningful and like productive conversations with like my roommates or you guys and I'm just I feel like people really do drain your energy mm -hmm. and we don't and we just let them and the difference is like it's not even subtle it's it's so clear how remarkably just you like whether you want to be around someone or you don't want to be around someone like people that you do enjoy being around, you're you're not aware of the time. But then if you don't like being around someone, you're like, when is this over? Like, can I leave now? Like, oh my God, it's already been an hour. Like I have to do this yeah. after we're meeting. Like you're, you're like not even present with them. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's, but about the serial and dating thing, do you think that's something that we just kind of have to go through until you eventually meet someone that you like being around? I'm a little torn because I think that in in some 
in most cases it's like you know you always get your greatest love when you're not searching for it or whatever garbage people say um but <laughs> i think also on the other end it's like well i mean statistically if you like meet a bunch of guys like one of them's got to be all right right like how i don't just by the math also have to be open to the option of meeting someone like if you're just like living your life and not like trying to meet someone to date then you're probably not gonna start dating someone if you're not like already open to the idea of it like I think there has to be some intention to it too yeah that's true and I think it is also like the formula of dating these days where you like go on an app and you like you know swipe 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 and then you just meet these guys that what are like the most aesthetically pleasing like I don't mm-hmm. I don't know I think it's, it's the way we do it more so than like the act itself of like dating a lot yeah especially now it's so much more reliant on lookism because like I, I mean I'm sure there's people who are like oh let's give this person a chance like they're doing something cool maybe it'll be interesting but if you're literally just seeing a giant picture of their face and then like maybe their name and like their occupation in tiny in like a tiny font size below like what's the first thing you're gonna judge them off of and so what do you do if you're like not someone that people find like conventionally attractive then it's just like everything's like biased against you but then at the same time like no one's gonna make a dating app that's a matter of like being matched based off of like personality questions and credentials then you can't see them until like you actually like go on a date with them like that would never work (laughs) even if you like let's say it this app tells you like oh I found someone that's like you're so well connected. Like you agree on all these topics. You would handle these same arguments like in just exactly same ways, but you can't see each other's face until the first date. Like, I don't think, I guess that would just be a blind date, but still, I don't think that would be like exciting to people or like would take off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know personally, I would not use that <laughs> already. Um, yeah. I mean, but these are like different episodes. I feel like we could get into this so much. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, what have been some of the greatest problems you've encountered in your life? And in overcoming them, what kind of talents, gifts, and ideas have you developed? Um, so I guess I'll, I'll take this one. Um, so, I mean, in, and, and I think this also will circle back to, like, the other question we have later. But, like, I definitely would not be in engineering, period, if it wasn't, like, you know, Asian parents. Um, but, which it worked out it's fine. But, uh, we, I feel like I started with half business, half engineering and German just for like the Yukon program. And it was, it was a lot. And I assumed I would like the business part and not really like the engineering part. And then it kind of just, I was like, I hate everything business and I don't want to talk to people. And I was like, okay, engineering. Um, so my first semester, I just totally bombed. I got, I had like 21 credits and it was, it was just way too much. And I had a garbage advisor who was like, you'll be fine. Like, just take all these classes and cry yourself to sleep every night. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and then I wanted to get into mechanical engineering and there was like a GPA requirement because it was like competitive. Um, so I just like, and then everyone kept telling me like, maybe LOL don't like just give up. Cause I, I kept also taking mechanical classes and like staying on that track instead of like getting my shit together and like picking something more realistic but anyways um I just kind of busted my ass and like eventually got in and I was and I I feel like I turned my greatest failure into like my greatest thing to like be proud of 
Um, but then I'm also like, well, what motivated me? And I honestly feel like it was people being like, oh, don't do it, which is maybe not the best motivator to have in life. But here we are. It worked. It worked out. And this is my career path now that I'm kind of stuck on. So, <laughs> yeah. But you chose to be stuck, and that's the difference. Yes, it was my choice. But then I'm also like, now what motivates me, you know? I need people just keep telling me I can't do things. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can like hire people <laughs> to say that. I mean, you know, in this patriarchal world, I don't think it's that hard to find, but. Yeah. My friend's a mechanical engineer, like from college. And she said she has to like call her boss out like once or twice a week for like the sexist comment he makes, which is good oh. that she doesn't feel intimidated and just like calls him out. Yeah, but still very like unpleasant or I don't know, off-putting to yeah. work with that. Does she work in America, like for American company? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um she works with like people from Ireland too. But I Wait, think which she- company? Let's call them out. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, if you're one of those eleven people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that name out. It'll be a <laughs> Um, yeah, in my mind, I'm like, should we use the company name? And Jethro's like, let's say it. Let's go. <laughs> I have no shame. <laughs> I feel like, um, oh, Shivani, do you have a, a greatest problem you feel like you've encountered? Over- yeah, so mine is different. Um, it's something that I kind of realized when I was like living in Mexico by myself and like just the profound loneliness I'd feel sometimes, like especially like the first few months I was there when I was like really getting acclimated, like getting used to post-college life and not being around my friends all the time, like all that. And then also like encountering the language barrier and the cultural barrier. Um, And just like, it's such a family-centric culture. And every Sunday I remember like I'd see these like families, like all taking their walks or like having meals together. And I would just like miss my family so much like in a way that I didn't really in college because I'd be distracted all the time so I think like the hardest times in my life have been when I just don't have like distractions to um keep me from thinking about like that like how independence can be really lonely if that makes sense like I would like take pride in like living there independently and figuring life out for myself like my dad wanted to like come and help me but I was like no I'd I want to like do this by myself um, just to like get that experience. But like that was hard to get used to. And I think it's something I've been feeling like during the pandemic a lot too. Uh, Like apart from the times that I've been with you guys, like that's when I like am like really distracted by that um, or from that. So it's just hard to like realize just um, like you can't be surrounded by community right now. Like you can't like be surrounded by people because when I was working in a school like I was constantly around like adults and children and like then I had my classes and I was surrounded by my classmates um so yeah I I think like it may, it's made me realize how much of like an internal struggler I am too um like it's hard for me to like voice it like I feel comfortable like talking to you all about it um but I think like I definitely like keep a lot of things to myself and when you're like feeling alone or like disconnected from a community like I was in Mexico but then I had like trouble like voicing it to like the people around me then that's kind of like a double whammy like of feeling kind of disconnected so yeah I 
I say the times I've struggled the most is when I just feel like disconnected from people around me. Did you feel like you eventually, like it, you felt eventually less lonelier in Mexico or was that a continual feeling throughout your time there? Um, I think it got a lot better the second half of my year there because more people like visited me too. Like my brother and sister-in-law did. And then like weirdly, my two friends from high school who I like hadn't seen in a while came to visit me. And oh, wow. it's kind of interesting because one is like super conservative and like I'm pretty sure I like voted for Trump, which is well, a whole other topic we can talk about. Um, and then the other one, she's like super woke, but like very liberal socialist, like I don't know, it's constantly like tweeting against like even even other liberal liberals. So it was just funny, like the three of us hanging out and and just like catching up and oh you all hung out together like they visited the same time yeah they like had to share a bed at one point like when they were staying with me so I I think it like did brought like bring us together and we had like really really good memories I think because we like avoided politics at all costs but okay, yeah, yeah. I, guess- <laughs> I was gonna say like I, I did your I guess values or views ever clash but it's nice it seems like you all avoided that from happening yeah and I don't know how healthy that was that we just like didn't talk about it but like it's kept our friendship going to not talk about it and I I think she's also like grown and changed a lot like she definitely like calls out racism now and like oh like can see when things are like cringy so I think I think she's getting better but yeah it but like going back to like them visiting, I guess after that, it kind of like opened a door where I, f- I felt more comfortable like getting to know people in my program and like going to stay with them when I traveled. Um, and I just like wanted to take advantage of like being in Mexico and like having a lot of free time. Um, so I like traveled a lot and I like saw different parts of the country. Um, so I, th- I think just like having those new experiences and like connecting with new people that like was a cure to my feeling of disconnect. Oh, I think also like we like make it such a, a stressor when it comes to like political views. And granted, now it, it's like political views are personal. Like if you're you know believe certain things, and like you're probably racist. Yeah. You don't like refuse to accept it and stuff like that. But I think it's also important to be like, well, sometimes you can you either have to or like can separate because so like I don't think we give enough credit to you believe what you believe based on nature like not your nurture based on nurture not your nature yeah (laughs) um because like if you grew up in like rural south this is all you knew like if I grew up in rural south I highly doubt I would be a democrat right now like I I think it's you know as a white person um I think it's like just it's we don't we forget that people at the end of the day didn't choose to like be in their in the situation that they're in and I think at a certain point we do have to ignore like the political views I think to to start a dialogue of anything otherwise you just have people you know not talking to each other and like increasing this divide so I think it's actually really cool that you like ignored it which is like a weird yeah it it took a while to get to that point like there's definitely like the majority of college I wasn't like on speaking terms with her because I was like trying to tell her like well if you vote for Trump like you're voting for these things too like you know 
like putting kids in cages, like you can't remove yourself from all those issues by saying like you're voting because of money. Yeah. Whatever. So yeah. I think all you can do is tell them that, right? Like beyond that, you can't like force them to vote the opposite. Yeah. Right. And I, th- I think like the way I approached it was very combative and I, and like looking back, like I would try and change the way I approached like conversations like that instead of like being accusatory and villainizing someone yeah yeah because I think I especially at UConn there's so many conservative people and I think also the people we were surrounded by just happened to be like that um but I feel like we actually had some productive conversations because like something like abortion I like just didn't couldn't really wrap my head around like how are you like especially as a guy like how is this your opinion I just don't understand why you think you have a say and then they explained it like you I mean granted I don't think we should get into this super deep right now but he he was he gave his explanation and I was just trying to like point by point like rationalize it out and it was a lot more of a productive conversation walking away from it I think because like sometimes you view reality in a totally different way like with a political issue like what what might seem like right or like a clear right or wrong to you like the opposite would be might be true for someone else and exactly yeah and I think we're all like I think we can all agree that we're we're born with some kind of like moral compass and people's compass are affected based off of like a bunch of basically random coincidence and accidents growing up whether it's where you were born or your family or your parental raising and so that like the trajectory trajectory of your compass is kind of shifts based off of that and I want to say like ideally you have you reach a point where you don't just inherit whatever however you were brought up but you want to like break out of that and be like, no, I want to make these habits for myself and I want to flourish in the ways that mean something to me. So like, I want to give humans that credit that they can do that and they don't have to just be like a result of whatever they were raised as. Like, I think being first gen, that's like where the biggest example of that is like, we were, we were in a lot of ways, we broke apart from a lot of how our parents thought and acted like. So there is that, but then you can't always, if you, you don't always know how much someone has like recalibrated their compass on their own terms and how much it's just basically what they were given and if they did recalibrate it like under what terms and maybe somebody who's just really fed up of like not being heard and has a really like small to medium business and just is really frustrated every day at work um and is just kind of like no I really think Trump is gonna be my savior and it's hard for us to be like, no, that, that's, a, that's a wrong way of thinking when you just haven't had the experiences that calibrated their compass. I like that, calibrated your compass. Yeah, I think we're all calibrating it in different ways. And I don't know if there's ever a point where like there's a, a light at the top of the hill and we're all gonna reach that point where all of our compasses are calibrated the same and we're all gonna like think in this level of like, moral sameness and purity I, I don't know if that's a thing but um yeah we're all I think we're just like making it a little bit higher up the hill every bit that we can whether it's the same hill or a different hill I'm getting very abstract okay I'm just yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like a philosophy <laughs> yeah. I like it like, why? in my head I'm like why are you stop talking about the hill what are you doing <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to combine the next two questions. What do you want your grandkids to say about you? And what would you want your epitaph to be? And for those of you that don't know what epitaph is, it's basically like the thing that's written on your tombstone, which we likely will not have because we're going to be cremated. But... <laughs> that's another episode. <laughs> what's, basically, what's the legacy you want to leave? What yes. do you want on your urn? Yes, yeah. On your urn. <laughs> Uh, um should I all right I'll go um so I don't know what I want my epitaph to be I just feel like it's that's that's a heavy question I don't know I haven't thought about it enough um but what I do want people I guess to take away from my life and I think I've talked about this with Shim or I think we talked about this in the last episode but I I think for me the only impact like lasting impact that people leave is your impression on other people and I don't think it's necessarily like the work you do, unless, I don't know, you invented something crazy, like, like Steve Jobs, I don't know, but I don't see myself doing that, so I think for me personally, it's how I affect the people around me and affect people, even just strangers, like, I hope they leave with, like, a good impression of me, or, like, like I helped them in some way, or gave them some sort of kindness, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, because I mean, what else can you do, really? Amen. Yeah, people will always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maya Angela, right, Shivaya? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> My Maya. You can Where's go ahead, Um. Okay, so for my epitaph, I picked out a quote from Pinterest. It is, oh gosh, what was it? Um. She never looked nice. She looked like art. And art wasn't supposed to look nice. It was supposed to make you feel something. So on my urn, <laughs> that is what will be there. And just to kind of further elaborate on that point for the grandkids question. So yeah, basically very similar to what Chitra said is just making sure that that the lasting impression you do leave with somebody is like a, like you kind of lifted their spirits a little bit or made them smile or just felt like they were happy that that interaction with you happened. And you are someone that when they think of your memory, um, it can, it like brings a smile to their face. I think most people you would tell about this would agree with that point. Like, yeah, I want to like make sure people are like leave thinking of me in like a pleasant or like are happier with me in their life. But I don't think a lot of our day to days are trying to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. that, yeah. That's right. So, true. Um, so yeah. Bishy people I've met in my life. Yeah, even just the tiniest things like getting angry at like a cashier or something like, I don't know, you want to, you kind of want to be like a little fairy that's like just dropping little bits of like joy everywhere you go. Mm. I really like your metaphors today. Thanks. <laughs> <I don't laughs> a little joy fairy. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking like for me, I think I want to be remembered the way that I remember like my grandma who just passed away like a little over a year ago. Like, I just think of, like, how selfless she was and how, like, obvious her selflessness was in, like, every interaction. You know, she was, like, always just, she was always giving and just had, like, an abundant, an abundance of generosity for other people. And I I think that's, like, a nice way to be remembered that, like, Mm -hmm. you were able to step out, like, I was able to step outside myself and, you know, like, bring other people some, like, I don't know, some kind of joy and give them 
show them kindness. Yeah. yeah, kindness is the most important thing for me to want to be remembered by. Sometimes when I think of that, and because I think like my grandparents or grandmas were similar, and like I see that sometimes with my mom too, and just like you're constantly, constantly giving, and you have to just like be okay with that. And then I think about like me being a mother, or like I just really don't think I have that in me. Like, I don't know if I can do that, just like constantly. Like, I think I can be generous, but I don't know if it can it can come at the cost where it's like so imbalanced, which I don't think it will be like that because I think for like my mom and for my grand- grandmas, it was much different. Like they had a lot more of the responsibilities and like a lot less help, but. Um, so you think that was like, like strictly like the female pressure that they had? I think it's kind of a cultural thing. I think it was an expectation yeah. that as a woman, you should be able to to constantly like give your soul up and not like question it like just whether you're happy or whether you're sad or angry like you put a smile on you do the dishes you do the cooking you take care of everything you make sure nothing's on fire um and you get no thank you at the end of the day and like you just have to live with that and like it's fine and like if you see your husband for like if you don't see him for like four days it's fine he's probably okay as long as the money is coming in like it's just it was a sense of like, you just keep going and you power through and you make sure everything's going well. And I just really don't think, I feel like growing up here has made me lose any chance of having that ability. <laughs> like I yeah. I just need a lot more, um, I would just go crazy if I had that kind of like expectation to just be like my best self at all times, no matter what, like as a mother, or as a wife. Yeah. And even as a teacher, like through the pandemic, like I feel like teachers have gotten a lot of backlash for saying that they don't want to go back. Like, you know, when it's not safe yet or we don't have the vaccine, like if you read like tweets or online comments, people are like, wow, teachers are so like selfish or for like caring about their families, like putting their families before their students. What assholes. I know, right? (laughs) It's like you're not seeing the humanity in them. Um, And I think like I don't have that in me either to like keep doing this long term if this is like what's going to be obviously like this year is exceptional but it's just been really weird to like have that expectation that like you need to be there for all your students like even though it's virtual you need to like be ready to like I I mean I feel like safe going back since you know I'm going to be vaccinated and I'm younger and all that but like I just feel for like the older teachers who just have this expectation between like choosing their own health and their family's health and then having to show that unconditional selflessness like to their students and to their schools like it just seems so imbalanced yeah yeah there's only like so much generosity you should expect from someone Mm -hmm. that's true I I think there are like boundaries you have to set too on both sides um have you guys heard of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. so I feel like generationally that's almost like a thing because I mean, we like with our parents' generation, it's not like they ever pursued their passions. And like, uh, I think we also talked about this in the last episode. Um, and then even in marriages, like you, as long as you get your basic needs met, and I'm even maybe for like older teachers, they're, they're like unfazed by what, like how much is expected of them. Um, but whereas I think as the next generation, we like want more and we expect more because we have those needs met thanks to our parents, thanks to the generation before us, where we can now pursue, like, I don't know, enlightenment or whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. When I think about that, I feel like this weird mixture of, like, guilt, but also, like, 
don't feel guilty like you didn't really do anything like to cause it it was just you just happened to be born in that in the next generation where those things were cleared up but yeah like we were actually just talking about this a few days ago my dad said that for the first like few years that we were in America the only North Star was just get a green card. Like no matter what happens, get a green card. Like I don't care about my happiness. I don't care about like if I'm eating, just get a damn green card because my kids need to like be able to get jobs and and not have to like fight for their trust as a citizen and be able to just like, yeah, like apply anywhere, get internships anywhere. Um, and I was just like, whoa, like I was playing outside. I had no idea this was happening. <laughs> like I was just, I zero care. I was just like hanging out with friends. Like it's just, and none of these things will ever be an issue, especially now that we're citizens. It's just, or even little things like, um, like caring about what people think, like what family thinks. I think they had more of a pressure to do that. And ideally, yeah, they might wish we cared more, but there's like, it's not like a life or death as much as it felt like for them of like, um, being saying no to getting married or stuff like that or just like pushing it off oh yeah for sure so yeah we're definitely like riding on that wave of just sweet freedom oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks mom thanks dad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like going back to like searching for meaning and like what we're doing like it seems like with our parents just that like that meaning was so much more concrete because it like they had no other choice you know, like my dad said that when he was in college and like still living in India, like his like main purpose was to find a job. So he'd had enough money to like pay the dowry for his sisters, like so they could get married because he had like six. He has six sisters. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's like the oldest brother. So he's kind of like the this like last hope for his family. So he said he would like come home from college and they would just eat like roti with like a little bit of salt like and I and maybe some chili and like if it if they like had a little bit of savings they would get vegetables and oh. I, I heard like stories like that my whole life like you know little snippets but I maybe because now I'm like earning my own salary and I like I have all this like extra income I can spend on like takeout or whatever so I'm thinking about like what that must have been like for him like that his first salary was like keeping his family alive you know whereas for me like I like my parents don't need my help luckily so it's just mine like I have that luxury of like things just being mine and now I can like search for another meaning that's not like someone's someone being alive or not or I don't know someone like getting married it's just it's crazy like you can find meaning that's not directly tied to your family yeah Exactly. And we have disposable income. I think that's like also the biggest thing is that like wasn't a thing. Like every money was allocated somewhere. It's either like getting sent back to the parents or sent to the siblings or putting someone in school yeah. or feeding someone. Although do we? Because with like us not getting social security ever and like like retirement being garbage in this country, like I feel like we kind of don't have a disposable income, but we pretend we do. I don't know. And then student loans, like, I don't know. This could be a whole other topic. It's like more bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also um, going off of now we're talking about parents. uh, Do you feel like, or to what extent do you feel like you're living out your life as a cameo role in the story of your parents? 110% on a percentage scale. I am absolutely doing that. Like every aspect of your life? 
I think every aspect of my life that I open to them really hope wow. my parents don't listen to this um because like I feel like I have a double life like I there's like so so much literally half of my life I'm just like totally different person doing a bunch of stuff I'm not gonna announce publicly right now um yeah. and and then the other half, which is like the model engineer, the I think that's all they wanted, really. Um, you know, what else do I do? I cook, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's the, I guess the extent of my me being their cameo role, but mm-hmm. I do it all. Do you think you do that like for them, or now it's become more for yourself? That's like- what like I think I've been grappling with a lot lately. It's like I don't know, and I there are aspects of engineering that I am into and like passionate about but then I'm like well I mean growing up that was never even on my radar like it was always writing or history or I don't know some artsy garbage stuff but I never pursued any of that because I I feel like I I just it couldn't I don't know I don't know I feel like I need to talk to a therapist about this or something um yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, I, th- I think to a certain extent, like, I I mean, my mom, her ideal goal for me would be to go to law school now, like, she's still, like, not so subtly, it just reminds me, like, hey, why don't you, like, so oh, really? I didn't know about that. Yeah. yeah, and I don't, like, I considered it in the past, but I'm still not sure what, like, my next move would be, Um, but I feel like, it, you know, I, I studied English in college, which was, like, totally my decision, like, even though my parents weren't jazzed about that um and then like kind of doing like the unconventional thing like going to Mexico and then like coming here um like I I think I still try to get like the like collect the name brands for like them to still be like proud of what I'm doing you know like like going to Johns Hopkins and like doing Fulbright and like I still like even though I diverted from that path I'm still like no I I still feel like shame if I don't do something that's not like reputable because I'm like so worried about what they think you know yeah and I think even like so especially like our you know they see like first gens are so like we think that we've we've overcome this like childhood trauma of constantly trying to please your parents but like then you kind of look at your life and you're like wait no I'm still doing this like whether it's totally subconscious or like at the forefront I know, but I, and I hate to say it it's just like the best feeling in the world when your parents like say they're proud of you or like they're happy for you like especially when they never say it growing up (laughs) yeah right that's how they get you they like retract the love and then like let it seep out just in the moments when you're doing what they want you to (laughs) they're like a goddamn pressure cooker waiting to blow Yeah. yeah it's like um like rats in a lab like giving them a reward for certain behavior. they're <laughs> yeah. gonna keep repeating that behavior like the cocaine experiment like the rat put it in the petal we yeah. are rats we are our yeah. parents rats. that's rats. what it is <laughs> so what think of maslow's hierarchy of needs then do you think there's going to be there's a level that we have not yet fulfilled and like our kids are going to have even a better experience I think in oh, terms of like sure. being closer to their parents, right? Also like addressing mental illnesses, like period. Yeah. My parents have definitely talked about like experiences they've had where they've like felt depressed or like felt anxiety. But I, I think like when they were younger and experiencing that, those things, like they just didn't have anyone to talk to about them. 
but I feel like I have an abundance of resources I could talk to. Yeah, like, I don't think I got that growing up ever. I think maybe now I have those resource, resources, yeah. but like, yeah, and I think our kids will have <clears throat> like that available to them a lot more consistently. Yeah, and I think we're like removing the stigma more, like to talk mm-hmm. to people in our lives about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shimona, what do you think about the cameo question? Yeah. Oh, I think that um, it's kind of similar to Shivani. Like, I feel like I've done things that haven't necessarily, like, I haven't thought about their approval, like big changes in my life. But at the same time, I think it has seeped in. I think you mentioned this, Jethro, like it's seeped in in other ways that you don't even realize, like subconsciously. And I think just that feeling of like needing approval of some extent from like a higher authority or even if it's like an older man that you're interested in or something I've seen that in myself where I'm like need to like somehow like prove my value or prove my worth and when you get that like pat on the head like that is something that we're so accustomed to feeling or to like to know what that feeling is like that um it's definitely like seeped in in those senses of just like meeting people in general which I I like to think I'm getting better at, but who knows? I think like women in general also just really like hardwired to be like people pleasers. So is it something I'm ever going to overcome? I don't know. We'll see. I think I'm, I'm slowly starting to care less because I'm realizing that this was all like a part of the patriarchal structure. And I'm like, whoa, I'm just like totally buying into all of it by being like this, like being like, and like, and needing to like, please everyone so I'm really nervous I'm gonna call my boss dad one of these days but (laughs) (laughs) Um, should we move on to man search for meeting just because I know Shivani has to go in like 20 minutes yes let's do it well I guess two out of three of us but I thought all three of us had read man search for meaning but I mean Shivani I feel like you still know like the gist of it so it's fine we'll discuss um But basically, the book is by Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor. And he he's also a psychiatrist or was. And then he basically related his experience on in like a very psychology based way, which was, I think, a totally different perspective of from a Holocaust survivor, because I think I've I think even in school, we've read a bunch of different holocaust survivor perspectives and this one just seemed really like fresh to me and like just a whole new perspective um so he basically is like i found the meaning of life what's up and i it was actually kind of funny because i read this book right when i was reading or right after i read the autobiography of a yogi another book i'm obsessed with and i think i was getting into like buddhism and like all that and i feel like i was like i know what the meaning of life is it's it's and we'll like get into it but i don't i don't want to do it so but i guess he he's like if you stop seeking out meaning purpose and happiness then it will kind of come to you and i feel like we do that a lot so yeah i was um i was i was reading man search for meaning while i was reading when breath becomes air and i think another book focusing on death so it was a, I don't know why I was doing that to myself, but it was a lot of just like thinking about the value of my life and what I want to like, how I want to make my mark. And one thing that uh, I kind of like when Shivani was saying that she, in Mexico, she felt the sense of like loneliness and kind of like, like a lack of like purpose, I guess you would say. 
Yeah. So I felt that a good amount in, um, I want to say like a year after graduation. And I feel like this is something that a lot of new grads eventually feel because of the way our, our whole school system is set up. Everything is so like, you don't have to think about anything. It's like, you know, seventh grade comes after sixth grade, you know, eighth grade comes after seventh grade. Then you go to high school. And then if you don't know what to do, you go to college. Even if you have, you don't, they are not even sure what you want to do with your life. You still go to college and people don't even like, sometimes they give you alternatives. Sometimes they don't. But then once you graduate, it's like, whoa, now I have like, what, 60 years of my life, hopefully, to make all these things happen that I may or may not want. I don't even know if I want these things, but I have to like figure them out. And then, and there's no like guidebook anymore. It's not a matter of just like you do X, Y, and Z, and then you get the grade. It's like, well, what does getting an A even mean in terms of dating? What does it mean in terms of doing well in school or doing well at work. So that's why I kind of got in that like funk that I did because I was just super confused and in what in a, in any kind of I didn't know like what direction to go in anywhere and, but it was it was exciting because I felt like we were we're in this privileged position where we could kind of go anywhere we want like there's not that much restriction on us but then it's also like analysis paralysis where you don't know what direction to go. And one of the things that like my biggest takeaway from Answer to Meaning was that he he emphasized that a lot that you can't make meaning the end goal. It has to be like a side effect of the general, your general like exploration of life. Like it's not gonna be like, oh, I'm doing this and this thing to find purpose, but it's just more, it's like, I'm part of a community. I do these hobbies. I do this work that excites me. And then eventually those things, you get to a point where they, take up your life in a capacity where they feel meaningful and impactful. So that was um, a really helpful way for me to get out of that funk is to focus my energy not so much on like, why am I in this funk? Like, does this mean I don't know what I'm doing in my life? Like, am I super confused? But rather focusing on, well, what do I enjoy doing? What kind of people do I like being around? And like, who do I want to like give my love to basically, both in terms of work and uh, friends and dating. So yeah, it was a, very impactful in that in that sense for sure really wishing I read it now I'm going <laughs> after this yeah, no, I you just know you'll you'll have to read it but I mean I think you can kind of relate to the like just the general idea that that things come to you in their own time I think like we were talking about this earlier with like relationships and dating and stuff I just I it's like when you focus too hard on something it almost destroys you and I think that's kind of like a lot with like depression and stuff I think that's like kind of the gist of it is like you're just focusing all your attention on whether it be like why am I not happy then all of a sudden it's like oh I'm really unhappy because you're just focusing on it all the time yeah and there, um oh sorry go ahead Sharon I'm gonna go off on a tangent probably because I haven't read the book but um on the drive back from Pennsylvania like we were listening to the song by Otis Redding like I think it's sitting on the dock of the bay I love that song right yeah and it's about I was actually listening to a podcast about the song and then I listened to it, but it was saying that like, that is a song about depression, you know, like he's just like sitting on the dock, like just watching the bay. And then he's saying like, you know, all the, like the world is going on around me, but like, I have no purpose in this. And I'm just like waiting for a time to pass, like not finding any meaning in it. And yeah, I think like going back to like what depression feels like it, it feels like there's just no meaning in like what, your actions every day mm -hmm. yeah that's true 
Um, oh yeah, Jamona, did you want to, do you have a thought? Well, one thing I also really enjoyed is like how he kind of, how he basically gave the reader like a little slap on the wrist when it came to, um, he said something like freedom has to be lived in terms of responsibleness. So no matter where you are in life, if you feel like you have to, or if you feel like you're lucky enough where you get options, you get to choose where you want to take your career and who you want to love and all that, you have to be responsible about it. You can't just like willy nilly spend your time with whoever and do whatever you want because then you end up not going to feel like you have any meaning and then you're going to feel even more lost. But it's up to everybody to take responsibility for that freedom that they have to then seek out things that make them feel fulfilled and that's part of like the flourishing of being a human being is just like taking responsibility for what you do and for your own happiness and I thought that was a really nice way to put it rather than like a lot of the the fluff that comes around with being happy or like content that tells us to be happy whereas he's more of like no like you need to start on this now and you need to like take take responsibility for it. that was like a nice way to put it yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree and I think um also like I feel like you have these people who live these traumatic events and they they all kind of come to this like general consensus of like yeah this is how I like made it through and it's I think it's just inherently like anti-capitalist and so we're just kind of like which I have like a whole like just rant oh, <laughs> yeah we have a whole podcast episode on this yeah oh yeah because I was like as I was like getting into this topic and like looking back at like the quotes of this book I was like oh my god like we could fix everyone we could or like you know help them significantly but it's like inherently goes against like the financial foundation of yeah so I don't think we will but um so one of the the quotes that I really liked or I feel like it just summed up the whole book and this is actually I'll like put all these links and like stuff in Instagram but um there's like a psychology today article and they they basically sum up the whole book with this one quote um it's don't aim at success the more you aim at it and make it a target the more you're going to miss it for success like happiness cannot be pursued it must ensue so I thought that was just really I don't know summed it up it basically is like you you, if you're looking for it you're not going to get it Mm -hmm. and I thought it was just like ironic in the absolute worst possible way like the entire purpose of even this podcast is in a way to bring meaning to these deep thoughts and uh, like inadvertently the like all alluding point. And I think <clears throat> I know for like years now, I've been just waking up every morning asking myself, like, why do I even exist right now? And like every single day I ask the question with more and more ferocity and it just feels like I'm bellowing into this deep abyss and I'm getting louder, but the echo just dissipates deeper into this void. And I never thought to just stop screaming. It's almost cruel, like how simple it's just supposed to be. That was my little spiel. Wow. Wait, is that the poem you mentioned? That yes. Well, just oh. paragraph, I guess. Yeah. This is something that you felt while reading the book or like before you knew before reading it? Uh well, I read it like a long time ago. So it was more just like me reflecting back on it and then I think also that psychology today article just kind of like triggered me and I was like shit mm-hmm. I've yeah. just been like struggling with this problem like for so long and then it, it's like lol just stop caring mm-hmm. and you're fine. yeah he also mentioned that in terms of 
like a, a woman's ability to reach orgasm. Like the more you try to make pleasure a goal in and of itself, it's destroyed and spoiled and it has to be like a side effect of whatever you're doing or a byproduct. But that was like a very weird turn from your amazing poem. So <laughs> like kind of related. <laughs> I don't know if I would even consider it a poem. I feel like I was just like ranting about it with big words. It was very relatable though. Mm-hmm. I think most of life just feels like you're shouting into an abyss and you're hoping that eventually you'll hear an echo, but you're not sure if that moment's ever going to come, but you don't focus on that moment. You just kind of keep shouting yeah. into the abyss. Yeah, and but then we'll join you stop. shouting. Yeah, <laughs> but then it's also like, LOL, just stop is I guess the solution, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mindfulness is also like a practice against that, like against losing meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, because like mindfulness is really, I mean, I don't know too much. I feel like about meditating. I like suck at it every time I try. But I think the general gist is like clearing your mind and not thinking about anything. Because I guess when you're thinking, you're focusing on something, on something you want. Mm-hmm. And even like like the whole foundation of Buddhism is if you don't want things, you won't suffer. And yeah yeah attachment yeah yeah and that's pretty anti-capitalist too yep yes very anti-capitalist to have no desire that's that's very (laughs) anti-american yeah honestly well i think that's a good note to end on for sure don't have desires don't um what was the other thing you mentioned shivani you said something else don't shame yourself for your desires too. Yeah. Don't judge yourself. Don't yeah. make pleasure an end goal. Don't make meaning an end goal. Um, yeah. We just gave you the meaning of life. So you're welcome. Basically. For that. <laughs> the meaning of life is that there is no meaning and you create it. Yes. Everything is random. Your inner fairy joy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a hill somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And what did, what did you say about your compass? Um, the calibrate your compass. Yeah. Yes. Calibrate your compass so your fairy joy can make its way up the hill. Exactly. And drop little sparkles of joy everywhere. Yes. All right. Yay. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining, yeah. everyone. Yeah. Thank you to our 11 unique listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. We love the love. Yes. Like, comment, share. All right. Bye, guys. I love you. Love you. Love you more. Bye. Bye.